Welcome to the Holistic Health Podcast, beautiful humans. If a professional, polished, well-edited podcast is what you're after, then move right on. If, however, you love unfiltered banter, unedited bloopers, authentic heart sharing, and a very generous dash of holistic health education, then you're in the right place. Hello, beautiful friends. Welcome back to the Holistic Health Podcast. We are chatting all things SIBO today, which I feel like my clinic days have themes to them. And today's been um, a SIBO day so far, which is really interesting. And now Mm -hmm. we're chatting about it. So we might actually jump straight in with numero uno, uno in terms of the different elements that we, or the proce- process rather that we use to treat SIBO. So the mm. first one being identifying the type of SIBO. So do you want to tell us a little bit more about that? Mm. So when it comes to treating SIBO, sometimes it's just really, really obvious that someone has SIBO. So I want to say just first of all, um, testing for isn't necessarily something that is done a hundred percent of the time. Um, but it is something that we might do in case of, we're not sure if this is some other type of dysbiosis and it doesn't seem to be so pronounced that SIBO is an obvious, um, differential diagnosis. And also another time that we might choose to test it is, If someone has already undertaken some treatment, either with us or with a different practitioner, and it either hasn't worked or maybe hasn't, you know, fully resolved the issue, so we can get a bit of a handle on what type of SIBO it is. So when it comes to SIBO, the acronym stands for small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, but our entire gut is full of bacteria. And all kinds of bacteria can overgrow. And in fact, when it comes to SIBO, it's actually quite a very specific type of bacterial dysbiosis of two really ancient bacteria classes that are really stubborn to get rid of, which is why um, it can be such a persistent issue for people or why when they've tried certain things, it hasn't necessarily worked. Now, when it comes to checking the type of SIBO, you can have Um, one type of bacteria, one main type that overgrows and produces a lot of hydrogen-based gases. And then there's another type that it can overgrow that produces methane-based gas. And of course, if you're really unlucky, you have both. And typically the progression that we see is we would see the hydrogen-dominant bacteria growing first and then the methanobacteria actually feed on the hydrogen and then we start to see methane gas being produced. That's not always the case, but that is commonly um, the the pattern um, that it unfolds with. And so when it comes to treating SIBO or when we're certainly when we're testing it, we can then actually get a bit more of a specific handle on what the type of SIBO is you're dealing with and perhaps narrow in the treatment plan a little bit further in terms of what we're going to do. So that's step one. If if that's a step that, you know, Nat or I feel is important before we proceed to actually treating it. And so assuming that that's been done or we've been, we've decided, yep, this has got to be SIBO because it's as plain as the nose on my face. Um, then the next step would be to work out the next piece of the treatment plan, which Nat's going to take us through. 
Ah, uh, yes, I am. So <laughs> the next step would really be looking at reducing the fermentable load of the diet and also the supplements, which I find often people, when they have a lot of digestive issues, are the ones that are buying every gut healing, gut promoting food or supplement there is out there. And ironically, which we've spoken about in previous episodes, that can often make the situation worse if in fact you do have a bacterial overgrowth. Mm. So as an example of that, you know, um, a lot of people with quote unquote gut issues um, will start to consume lots of um Uh, like sauerkraut or kimchi or kombucha um, or lots of fiber to try and, you know, support their gut health in quotations, or they might start to take lots of different probiotics or gut healing powders that have a lot of um, different forms of fibers and prebiotics in them. And that is arguably something that's going to almost um, worsen the SIBO before it actually improves your gut health. So it's not to say any of those things are bad, um, but as a step in the healing process, we actually need to reduce the fermentable load across the board. Now, when it comes to doing that from a dietary perspective, there are different quote-unquote diets or strategies out there as two examples that are commonly used by different practitioners. There might be like the SIBO biphasic diet, There might be a low FODMAP diet. I personally use a a bit of my own creation of both of those like mashed together. Um, But your practitioner and, and, you know, both Amy and I would choose the most appropriate one for you as an individual. Mm, Yes. And then we'd move on to step three. Yes, killing the overgrowth. So this is probably an important distinction to make for anyone listening who either suspects they have SIBO or you've got some sort of bloating issues and you know your microbiome is not right. A lot of people in this camp find themselves becoming intolerant to more and more foods, but in particular, they'll often start following almost by accident a type of SIBO diet. Um, and again, that that varies for each client, depending on which one we think is the most appropriate. But the trouble is if you don't treat the actual overgrowth, you're kind of stuck on a very restricted diet forever and you never actually get to the cause. And so the next step in the process is to actually reduce that bacterial overload with strategies that are very specific for the type of bacteria, well, the two classes of bacteria that cause SIBO specifically. Now, I say that because there are a lot of products on the market for dysbiosis. Some of them are more geared towards candida and yeast overgrowth. Some of them are amazing, potent antimicrobials. But because the two bacteria families that cause SIBO are the most ancient, they are the most resistant and really require a very specific type of treatment in order to successfully lower their numbers and thereby reducing their effect on the gut. Now, depending on the client, sometimes, you know, I might go in and actually look to treat the overgrowth straight up. Um, But also sometimes people with gastrointestinal sensitivities and maybe other symptoms are a bit fragile and a Herxheimer reaction from, you know, diving right in at a full strength antimicrobial strategy could actually make someone feel quite unwell um, and create sort of what we would call Herxheimer 
symptoms. And so in some cases, and I'm thinking of a couple of clients at the moment, we might do a bit of a prodromal um, protocol just to sort of reduce inflammation and try and set them up to limit any sort of reactions to the die-off effect, if you like, going forward. Um, But what I'll also say about that is it's not as simple as using antimicrobials to um, kill off the bacteria because pathogens have all kinds of sneaky ways to ensure their longevity and to avoid actually being impacted in that way. So, Nat, what is the next crucial part of the strategy? Well. In fact, it is to disrupt the biofilm. So biofilm is, and I, and I, again, I think we've spoken about biofilms on other podcasts, but in case you're new here or you've forgotten, mm-hmm. um, a biofilm is, is basically like, I picture it as a, like a big blanket that covers, um, you know, when you're a kid actually, and you like, you grab a big blanket or a sheet and you're just like having fun playing under the sheet. And that's, that's how I think of a biofilm is it's almost like this protective, um, layer where bacteria almost can hide, so to speak. Um, and if, if, um, we don't disrupt that biofilm or we don't uncover or cut holes in that blanket, then we never get to those quote-unquote bad bacteria or overgrown bacteria. And once the threat of, for example, the antimicrobials is gone or it has the opportunity to come out from under the covers and start to grow again, it will. Mm-hmm. So it's really important in that process um, of healing SIBO or treating SIBO that your practitioner, which and both of us do this as well, are using some form of biofilm disruptor. Now, it's not always going to be called a biofilm disruptor on your treatment plan. I know I don't usually write it down as as that, and I will verbally tell my client um, which one is playing that role, um, but it is really important that it's in there. But there are lots of different, um, I guess, nutrients, herbs, um, amino acids, et cetera, that can be used or, or integrated into a plan that have the purpose of being a biofilm disruptor. Um, and I don't know about you, Ames, but I'm usually choosing like one that's matched to the client because I find that certain biofilm film disruptors are more appropriate for one person versus another. And that's where, again, I guess this personalization, particularly when it comes to gut health, is so important. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, I think if, if you've been listening for even a short amount of time, you probably realized that when it comes to a holistic approach, it's always tailored to the individual as opposed to following a cookie cutter protocol. Um, and certainly using, you know, biofilm disruptors is no exception. Um, and, and for anything else for that matter as well with antimicrobials or for any other condition too. And I guess the same can be said for improving motility, which is the next sort of consideration when we're looking after someone with SIBO. So with gut motility, this is a phrase that's used to really just to describe the, the way in which that the intestinal tract moves food along um, the length of the gut and, and ultimately out of our body. And with SIBO, like with anything, patients can present differently um, and not everyone with SIBO will suffer with constipation, but there's kind of two 
reasons why we would want to do, two main reasons why we would want to do this. So first of all, it's not uncommon for someone with SIBO to be dealing with constipation. And what that means is they are not either able to be having a healthy bowel motion at a minimum once a day, or maybe the bowel motions they are passing, even if they are once a day, feel incomplete or they aren't an ideal stool form. Um, So certainly that's one element of improving motility to actually ensure someone's having adequate volume and frequency of bowel motions each day to fully clear their colon, so to speak. Um, But the other piece of the puzzle is the movement or the sweeping motion and the peristalsis that moves the stool through the gut actually moves the bacteria through the gut as well. And fun fact, (laughs) our stools are mostly bacteria, actually. Mm. Um, And when we employ the use of prokinetics and actually help to stimulate motility further, we're actually helping the gut move the overgrowth to a degree out more rapidly, particularly if we're killing off bacteria too. We want those out of the bodies as soon as possible. Um, You can also improve motility by changing the cadence of when when you eat. And so usually if someone is a grazer during the day, we will look to um, amend that and change, you know, the frequency with which they're consuming food, because we, of course, want to also take advantage of the fact the migrating motor complex is going to be, you know, is something we can leverage as part of a SIBO treatment protocol as well. And so, as I'm sure you're beginning to hear, it's not just as simple as, oh, take a pill and follow a low FODMAP diet, um, because neither of those things are going to get you there. And actually, this next piece, which Nat's going to take us um, through now, is something that I actually see commonly missing from treatment plans in in the wider landscape as well. So I'd love you to take us through this little hidden gem. Mm. Well, like one element to it is, is making sure that you're really looking after the vagus nerve and vagal tone. So your vagus nerve goes from your va- um, your brain, not your vein, from your brain and innovates into your gut. And it is, you know, the, the connector. I often think of it as um, the highway or the the integration between um, what we feel physically and and what we feel emotionally, and there's far more to it than that. But the the other reason that this is so important is the vagus nerve has a lot to do with motility and with nourishing something that's called the migrating motor complex, mm-hmm. which is basically just like this little. Um, it's it's a it's a little system that's that is in your small intestine and it almost does these sweeps um, of you know sweeping um, bacteria food etc out of the small intestine um, in 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 stages in cycles and that's why not um, grazing all day is important because it actually needs a good um, period of time to rest um, so that it can operate and go through its cycles like anywhere from I usually ask people to leave at least three hours between meals however it doesn't take three hours to go through a whole complete cycle it's more we want it to go through a few cycles in that time um, and what it's doing is it's it's ensuring that we're preventing SIBO from returning or regrowing because a lot of the time the reason why SIBO, begins to grow in the first place 
has to, has to do with a malfunctioning of the migra- migrating motor complex for various different reasons um and 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 that's what sets up the conditions or the environment in order for SIBO to grow and so in order to ensure that it doesn't come back which is arguably a very important piece of the puzzle we need to make sure that the vagus nerve is being stimulated or that there's tone there so there's heaps of ways that you can um, activate the vagus nerve or tone the vagus nerve so some like just examples would be things like humming singing at different pitches aggressive gargling lol love to picture that one um uh, there's certain acupressure points and acupuncture points that can be used um certain breathwork practices can also um be helpful like there's a there's a whole there's a whole host of different things that can be used and i often give people a bit of a list for them to explore themselves um and not something that you have to do every single one every single day but more just integrate integra- integrating them into your plan um and the beautiful thing about that is that there's so many benefits to having good vagal tone and nourishing your vagus nerve outside of the gut even in and of itself so we love anything that ticks multiple boxes um you know in one go uh and then also you know after you've done a lot of that that killing, so to speak, and you've really decreased um, the amount of bacterial overgrowth that's there, and you've you know encouraged motility, you've worked on the biofilm, um, you've uh, ensured that you've got some vagal tone uh, there as well. It's actually really important that we start to encourage the diversity of the good beneficial bacteria that are there that can often keep the bacteria that are prone to overgrowing in check. So mm. when it when we're talking about gut health, um, one thing that is super important is diversity. So diversity of species, they all have lots of different roles. And we've spoken about this before as well, that you cannot possibly take every single beneficial bacteria that there is in your gut in probiotic form. Probiotics work and are there for the time that you're taking it, um, but as soon as you stop taking it or if you're trying to grow a species that we can't yet encapsulate, you have to have a different strategy. And so really focusing on diversifying food, diversifying supplements that are including specific beneficial fibers is how we actually, and you know, polyphenols and, and, and certain other things, is how we end up coming full circle and building a gut that is much more resistant to having SIBO recur because it can and does recur for people who miss out this part of the treatment. Mm, Yeah. So this is definitely something I would encourage you if you suspect you have SIBO to see a practitioner about rather than, you know, throwing spaghetti at the wall and hoping it sticks, especially because just like with antibiotic resistance with bacterial infections today being a major issue, the more things you just kind of half-heartedly throw at an, at essentially what I mean, it's an overgrowth rather than infe- an infection because it's not technically in your system; it's it's external to to our body. But you can actually end up making it worse. So if you suspect you have SIBO, if you're finding you're bloating all the time, or after meals, you know you're waking up with a flat tummy in the morning, and then you've got a swollen belly by the end of the day. Like the worst cases that I see, you know, can end up looking like five or six months pregnant 
or more, you know, even water bloats them. It, it can be really obviously very distressing. And if, and if you have found yourself in this situation and you've tried random things from, you know, the health shop, that's okay. Um, but I'm hoping that in, in hearing the, the different parts of the process today, it's clear why that if you've tried a few things and it hasn't worked, um, that that's why there's there's a few more pieces to the puzzle there that need a bit of support in order to help you not only get rid of it, but as Nat, you know, importantly pointed it out, making sure it doesn't return. Mm. Um, you know, there's lots of reasons why SIBO can kick off, um, but certainly the role of the vagus nerve and the state of your nervous system has a huge part to play there. Um, you know, if even if there was no other variable, that can sometimes be enough to create an issue. And then when you layer on top of that, you know, medications like contraceptive pill, antibiotics, you know, things like that, it can get it can get messy really quickly. So you're not alone if you're experiencing this. It is certainly becoming something that is being identified more and more commonly. And also there is a strategic roadmap out of the bloating and the discomfort and the gastrointestinal distress. Mm. And if you pull all of these pieces of the puzzle together in the right way, you can kick SIBO to the curb and enjoy food like a normal person without your tummy blowing up. Mm, which is so life-changing for people. I, I know that we've both seen this where people go from eating like, you know, a very small handful of foods uncomfortably to then being able to actually experience what it feels like to go out and not have to worry about, is there garlic in my food? Like, is this going, do I need to make sure my pants are really loose, you know? Mm. And it it just, it creates a lot of anxiety having SIBO and having gut issues, both in terms just the physical um, way that it disrupts your gut and therefore that gut-brain connection, but also just not knowing how you're going to react or knowing how you're going to react and not liking that or, um, you know, just the the mental and emotional impact that there can be from feeling so uncomfortable in your body, which mm. affects confidence, your mood, um, you know, what you choose to do and not do. Like I, I know so many of my clients who, um, and I know your clients are the same, Amy, who just say it's like stop doing things. They stop going to the beach to swim because they feel so disgusting in their words, not mine, um, or they stop going on dates or um, they say no to more things that they'd like to stay yet, like they they'd like to say yes to. And um, while I'm all for saying no and staying at home with the heat back on the couch, like <laughs> I also think there's a line and, you know, when how you're physically feeling, which is fixable, um, you know, s- starts to impede on your ability to connect and socialize and feel good in yourself and about yourself, it really is worth getting some help rather than just going, oh, well, I just have IBS and that's just what I've got and this is just my lot. Um, to to us as um, as holistic health practitioners, IBS is is a description. You know, mm, yes, you have an irritable bowel mm. and a syndrome is a collection of um, symptoms. So irritable bowel syndrome is a collection of symptoms of how you feel. Mm. But to us, it's not an end diagnosis. It's um, It's a hint that, hey, like 
there must be something causing that irritable bowel and SIBO is one of those drivers that it can be. So please, please, please reach out to either of us or to another practitioner who you trust in this space to support you if you are someone who has a lot of bloating or gas or has been diagnosed with IBS and isn't getting anywhere with the treatment that you're currently on because there are more options. Amen. (laughs) Amen, sister friend. All right, lovely humans. We will speak to you all next week. And I hope that this episode has been helpful. Please share it with a friend. Um, We are just so grateful when you do share it. It you know, I know you probably hear this on every person's podcast, but the more you do share the episodes, the more you take that little extra step to rate and review it. Um, it does make just such a big difference to how many people um, it gets to reach, which really allows us to continue to produce this podcast for you all. Mm, thanks, friends. See you next week. You've been listening to the Holistic Health Podcast with Amy and Nat. If you loved this episode, then make sure you share it on Instagram and give us a tag. If you'd like to help us spread the holistic health message far and wide, then we would also so appreciate it if you left a rating and review. This helps us more than you know. And don't forget to come and say hi over on Instagram. See you next week.